welcome to Small Biz Matters live in the studios of Triple H 100.1 FM, your local community radio station. So all politicians and leaders have been talking about right now the new industrial relations reforms passed by Parliament just this week after months and months and months of negotiations. There's actually been waves after waves of changes and small business and their advisors are currently drowning in all of those changes and what it means for them. So the small business groups representing small businesses aren't happy. The industry associations have been campaigning for months and small businesses themselves are once again lost. I suppose they'll have to wait till the next election to have their say. But in the meantime, when all the dust settles on leaders and media perspective, what does that mean for you, the small business person? Luckily today in the studio, we have an expert with decades of experience joining us to take us through these changes and the myriad of other laws which have recently dropped. Natasha Hawker from Employee Matters. We'll be talking about respect at work, people at work, psychosocial hazards, domestic and family violence leave, and the process pay secrecy. What does all this mean for small businesses? Now listen up, grab a cup of coffee because it's going to be a really detailed one this week and we'll join after the break. Welcome to Small Biz Matters, a show where we are dedicated to empowering small businesses and advisors to engage with policy and advocacy. Why? Because what government does very much matters to all small biz, good and bad. Sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office, each week we sit down with experts, advocates, business leaders, policymakers and politicians to dive into specific areas of government policy that affects your clients and your business. We'll give you the heads up on what's coming down the policy pipeline. Find out who's fighting in your corner and empower you with ways you can influence those decisions which affect your business every single day. We proudly broadcast live on our local community radio station, Triple H 100.1 FM, the community broadcasting network, and later wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's hear from this week's expert on Small Biz Matters. People, policy, purpose. And back in the studio now we have Natasha Hawker from Employee Matters joining us. Thank you so much and it's great to have you back in the studio once again. It's wonderful to be back. I can't remember when I was here last time but it seems like An ages ago. An eon ago and it's certainly uh, before all of these changes and these impacts really happened. I mean... You know, workplace relations was complex before mm-hmm. and a lot of small businesses needed their advisors to lean on before. And you wrote a book before. Yes. And here we are with all of these changes with a new government, new purpose, you know, small businesses just stumbling out of COVID uh, and a lot of waves of changes that they need to get their head around and fast. Yes. So let's, uh, before we try and cover what's happened just last week, let's have a think about what's uh, happened just more recently and First, ask the question, are small businesses coping, in your opinion, with what's going on? Have they really got their head around it or do they need help urgently? Um, I think the answer, and I talk to, I have the privilege of talking to businesses every day, the answer is that they don't. And I think the reason is, from what I'm hearing, Alexi, you've got sort of three areas. You've got those business owners that have heard a little bit about it, but they actually don't think applies to them. They think it's just the big end of town. Mm. You've got those business owners who haven't heard about it at all, so therefore are not doing anything. And then you've got those ones that off the back of COVID are literally fighting for their survival. And 
even if they were aware of it, it's not a priority. And I'll give you a quick example. We had a client who um, had a very successful audiologist audiologist business, um, but COVID changed things and it changed people's behavior. And actually their clients didn't come back to the clinic after COVID. And through no fault of their own, they're having to close their business. So if you were to ask them, are they going to be bothering with trying to comply with the compliance obligations they've got, or are they fighting for their business survival? They're fighting for their business survival. So I think that's what I'm seeing there. And the harsh reality is that small businesses have a lot of work to do in this space and um, they're going to have to make it a priority. So let's have a think about what's happening uh, in the last sort of six to 12 months. We've had some changes come down the pipeline that small businesses should already have been uh, implementing. Mm. And I wanted to ask you about some of those. So let's talk about firstly, the respect at work changes, um, the respect at work bill. Firstly, why did the government do this? Mm-hmm. Why did they suddenly think that, um, you know, that everyone's being, uh, you know, borderline sexually assaulted while they're at work or the bullying mm-hmm. is out of control? In your experience mm-hmm. as an expert, were you seeing that? Did you feel that that was something that needed to be brought under control with a massive bill like all of these recommendations? From my experience, both personal and what I was seeing in the in the workplace, yes, it was. The reason it came about was um, it was off the back of the Respect at Work uh, report that was done and the 55 recommendations that came out of that. And what they found in that uh, survey and that bit of research was that one in three Australian workers, particularly women, had been sexually harassed in the workplace within the last five years. So I think it was a bigger problem years ago, but it continued to be a big problem. So they've brought about a framework of legislation that makes um, you have seven obligations, four are for where you're preventing that uh, sexual harassment in the workplace and three are around what happens to do what what you do if it does happen and it is a lot of work and so for example if to roll out the respect at work what you're required to do as as a business owner you need to do some training first and foremost for you and your exec team you then have to sit down and actually work out what do we think our risks are in this business what are the risks that we've identified then you actually have to ask your team because whilst I might think I know what the risks are they may have different risks that they're going to identify. Then once we've got that, we've got to identify what those risks are and then mitigate them. So it is a lot of work in this space around trying to get that. And that came about back in March, I think it was March 23. So it's been around for a long time. And with those uh, with those changes, you mentioned a lot about um, prevention mm-hmm. and, and before the fact. I think small businesses are very well aware and are probably armed with what to do if an allegation is made or something happens to one of their staff members, they understand the concept of keeping people safe at work. But the change that this means is that it all happens beforehand. It's all about the prevention beforehand mm-hmm. and, and what is it that you need to do to prevent that from happening. And you're legally obliged now to make sure that you're putting those prevention Correct. tactics in place. So you mentioned that you need to speak to your uh, staff members mm. So they have to be part of the process. Should be consultative, yes. And so, you know, to that point, in the old days, you used to just do appropriate workplace behaviour training and that was sufficient. Now we need to, as a business owner, you have a positive duty of care, which means you must do everything that is practically possible to 
stop sexual harassment in the workplace. Now we know, Alexi, that you cannot, you know, cross your heart and make sure that that is never going to happen. But you absolutely have to have done everything possible. Mm. And we had a case with a client. Um, this is probably late last year, where we had said to them, "We need to do some sexual harassment uh, respect at work work." And they're like, "Yeah, we know we need to do it, but not yet." And then literally the next week, they rang us with a very serious complaint, which we had to deal with and investigate. And through that process, they lost both people. They were found to, the perpetrator had been found to have sexually harassed. But in this workplace, what had been, what had come about, and this is where the legislation is coming from, is people were aware that it was sort of going on, but we all turned a blind eye to it. And so they would have been liable because they actually moved the lady who was being harassed by this fellow into a quieter part of the office so it wouldn't disturb the other members of the team so they had just moved the problem away so they would have been found to have helped facilitate that sexual harassment so he was found to have sexually harassed her was terminated on that basis but she left very quickly thereafter the reality was they were both both quite good performers so they lost not one but two mm. high performing from a technical point of view uh employees out as a result of not doing that yeah i mean and, and that's the thing you have to look at this as though um there's a risk for your business not just a risk for your employees and risk for you as a director or as a business mm. owner as well so in a practical sense Um, And I don't want to spend too much time on respect to work because we could literally do this five times over with all Mm. the changes that are happening. But more broadly, it's about prevention Mm -hmm. and it's about putting um, not just training into place but consultation. So make sure that everybody's been consulted. And, of course, good record keeping, Mm -hmm. you know, who took part in in the meetings, what was discussed, a few notes taken here and there. Absolutely. That's key. It's a lot of extra admin work. I mean, I know it's – for very good reason and to keep people safe but if you look at it from a small business perspective like you said those who are just keeping their head above water um, this is all about making sure that you have a safe and, and good working environment, I suppose, for the future of your business so people want to continue working for you. Absolutely, and that way you can attract the best and retain them. Mm. It's about having a safe workplace at the end of the day. I get the feeling that as, as time moves on and more of these changes take place in such quick succession that it's going to be beneficial for small businesses to engage with advisors so that they can show that they've got that advice and they're doing the right thing and maybe from their yeah. professional associations. Yeah, it sounds self-serving for me to say this, Alexi, but the legislation changes and, and across the board. In the past, you used to be able to just put a new policy in place and make sure people read it and, <laughs> and that yeah, was the and then tick. sign off on and it. And that yeah. was – you were done and dusted. Mm. As I mentioned, the legislation here is, is quite onerous and it's deliberately proactive and continuous improvement in its – in the way it's meant to be rolled out. So, you know, I would strongly recommend all your listeners get some advice because we had a client who wanted to self-implement. They looked at all the legislation and went, where do I start? You know, this is just ridiculous. And so they came to us and we were able to really quickly say, look, do this, do that, check in with us if you have any questions. And it just meant the whole process rolled out very smoothly for them. Some good advice. And and I should also say during this program, of course, that everything we're saying today is very general. You shouldn't be following these by the exact nature but make sure you get that advice and that can come perhaps from um, a professional association which we always encourage people to be part of here but even to check in with them and read some of their newsletters 
a lot of them are working very hard to unpack this legislation and make it relatable to your business in your industry. So check in with those newsletters and find out where you can get more information and talk to your peers. Mm. I think this is a really good opportunity to speak to businesses around you, join your local chamber of commerce, find out what other people are doing um, and find a local expert who can help. We're, We're big proponents of advisors for small businesses on this program, believe me. So let's talk about um, another one, which is family domestic violence leave. Mm. Could you just unpack that a little bit for your typical small business owner? Yeah, for small business owners, many of them now know that there's 10 days of paid leave. I think that's pretty clearly understood. From day one. From day one, which is a, is a big change. You know, you don't have to accrue it. You are eligible from the day you start. Um, what is not so clear uh, for individuals is the implications of this in terms of policies and procedures. And what I mean by that is, for example, say that somebody did take domestic and family violence paid leave, it cannot go on their timesheet or on their um, payslip. payslip. And the reason for that is that that it's goes dangerous. home to the perpetrator yeah. and put, could put them at risk. So where do you keep that information? And it's also on a needs-to-know basis. So say uh, you are the business owner and somebody comes to you to say, I need to take this leave, but they report into me. You cannot tell me that uh, that individual has taken paid and uh, domestic and family violence leave. So the confidentiality is key and that's around keeping them safe. And I think what people need to remember is I think in the past we used to turn a bit of a blind eye and we have a big problem in Australia. It's one in four women, one in six men. And uh, we had a client again a couple, uh, probably late last year. Uh, one of their employees was severely bashed by her partner. She couldn't come to work. She went on to paid leave. Um, in this instance at our suggestion, the client also gave them some additional support to help keep her safe. It takes on average two weeks and $17,000 for a victim to leave. They're at their greatest risk of injury when they leave. And so that um, perpetrator was also coming into the office. So the business was trying to protect both the individual to keep herself safe, because many women either aren't ready or don't want to leave yet, but we want to make sure they're as safe as possible. But because the perpetrator was coming into the office, we also needed to keep the other members of the office safe as well. So there's a lot happening in this space and it's really, really important, given the statistics, that we protect that confidentiality because, as you say, Alexi, the risk to that individual if the perpetrator was to find out that they are taking that leave. Um, The other thing I think is important to mention here is a lot of people say, well, can I get evidence of that? And yes, you can legally ask for evidence. We made a decision at Employee Matters that we wouldn't if somebody came to us. But that evidence could be a doctor's certificate to say they attended a doctor or they could get a record from the police to say that it attended an interview with the police or with their lawyers. Because again, all of that stuff to build up a case or if they're involved in that can take a lot of time and that's what that leaves there for them to do I mean I I have to say um and it's a it's a very difficult um path to tread uh when you're speaking about this because you feel as though you need to speak on behalf of the small business owner and say when did this become my responsibility yeah and when did this become my responsibility to protect on a personal level my staff and I think the fear is broadly in the business community that we might see fewer women being employed or younger women or Mm. women in new family situations and there's another reason and I'm using air quotes here Mm -hmm. to avoid uh, you know to stereotype and and to not employ certain segments of the employee community I, I just think that that's 
it's sad that we've come to this, but obviously as a society we have arrived at this point. Mm. Um, it's not a problem that's going away and it, it does affect business productivity um, and I guess this is a way that small businesses can contribute. But again, it's it's tough. Look, I think that that's the re- you touched on that beautifully there, where we have a real problem in Australia, one in one woman every week. But what we need to do is have a multifaceted approach, and that's what the government's trying to do is to help. How do we tackle this problem from a society point of view? And unfortunately, for small business owners, there's a role to play. And I think many of them were dealing with this in the past anyway. You know, there were those ones that just turned a blind eye and said none of my business that's happening at home but there were others I can give you another quick example we had a client where um a girl who's a recent hire had been attacked by her partner and the receptionist said well come and stay at my place so now they've got both the receptionist at risk and the individual um and so you know it it is going to impact you whether you like it or not but just by virtue and and again it's one in six men too so it's not just a purely female problem and I will say again as as many business leaders say why would you employ anyone well I have a friend who said running a business would be so much fun Natasha if I didn't have employees yeah and she's not alone you know it it, unfortunately when most of us start our businesses we go right I want to grow this business in real estate or baking or whatever it is but the, the people come with that and that's the bit they weren't so keen on and, and unfortunately with that comes a lot of legislation. And going back to that process, uh, so you've, you've described what to do as a small business owner in order to gather evidence or not gather evidence in order to keep people safe, put things in, in process and of course record keeping is a very important part of that. Um, the payment itself so you is it prorated? Is it casual versus full time? It, it's so it's for for your permanent employees, but it is a payment that looks like ordinary hours worked. So it's not written on the time sheet or pay slip, um, and it just looks like they got their normal pay. But the ten days that might be a half day taken or a whole day taken, that just needs to be kept on a personnel file that is either hard copy or soft copy, but on a needs to know basis. Do the government make any contracts? contribution to that financially at all? No. And that's something you may want to take up with your local MP if that's something that's really impacting your business or restricting the number or the type of people that you employ and you can see it becoming an increasing concern. uh, You may want to take that up with your local politician and find out what they can do about that. Um, New governments come in tweaks are made amendments are made to, to existing legislation um, and uh, and we can we can have an impact on that as well yeah. I know that during the negotiations there was a lot of associations fighting for that small business perspective and basically saying to the government this is a, a societal problem this is a problem that you need to you know make more investment in and, and try and assist in that way um, but like you said it does affect business product productivity as well. Mm. Um, what we might do is uh, take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and when we return we're going to speak with uh, Natasha Hawker a little bit more about what's just happened in the Parliament um, to help people understand what the impact is for their business. You're listening to Triple H. We'll be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. As Bifio assists, advocates and provides information to Australia's 2.5 million small and family businesses when and where they need it. Aspifio delivers practical and actionable advice and research to governments on how to improve policies and legislation. 
Since its inception, Aspifio has responded to over 40,000 requests for assistance from Australian small and family businesses and provides access to dispute resolution services, including assistance with disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticulture and oil codes. Aspifio also connects small and family business with mental health support should the need arise. As an independent advocate for small business owners, Aspifio is committed to ensuring that Australia is the best place to start, grow or transform a business now and well into the future. See how Aspifio can support you at asbfeo.gov.au. So um, we're speaking today to Natasha Hawker, who is from Employee Matters, one of our regular guests, having come more than once. And we're talking about the recent changes in industrial relations, workplace relations that affect small businesses. Now, just during the break, Natasha, you and I were talking about all the stuff that's happening in the media. There's been a lot of chat about multi-employer bargaining and big things that are going to affect big business. It's less of a concern for small business, in your opinion, do you think? Oh, hang on, I've turned on your microphone. That would help. So is it less of an opinion, uh, less of a problem in your opinion for small business? Definitely. Yeah. There are other legislation pieces that are going to be more uh, of impact to small business. So let's focus on one of those. So uh, the people at work, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest and say, I haven't even heard about that one. What's, yep. what's that and how does it Yeah, so business? it's a really interesting one. Came about last year. Um, as we know, uh, again, we have a mental health issue in Australia. It's one in four Australians are affected by a mental health condition between the ages of 16 and 85. And when I talk about mental health conditions, I'm talking about anorexia, anxiety, uh, drug and alcohol and drug abuse, um, and your more serious ones like um, bipolar and so on. Um, and so part of the legislation was to try and impact that in the workplace around reducing stress levels and reducing mental health conditions that are caused by work. So again, and this is a great example, Alexia, of how the how the policy needs to be implemented, you need to do a survey. You can get it from Fair Work. It's about 100 questions. Send it out to all your team. 100 questions? It's 100 questions. We've done an, an abridged version to make it easier for clients for small business where they don't need some of those. Um, and then you've got to take that data in and work out what that data is telling you. Again, identify where the risks are and mitigate those risks. I'm sorry, but when when exactly is a small business owner going to do that? I don't know. Yeah, that's the that's challenge. That's the challenge. So that is why, you know, when you ask me whether businesses are doing it, no, they're not because they're not aware of it and then trying to fit this in is is onerous. But the reality is, unfortunately, people do need to do it. It's mandatory. So, and that's for not-for-profits, that's for small business, for big business, you So the it. survey itself is not mandatory but The survey is. Okay. And yeah. so putting something into place beforehand to understand where the psychosocial risks ah, sit yeah. in your business. Has it, yeah. And so you're talking about, um, again, you know – analyzing the age or the cohort that you have it's I, I just more, this for me just feels like discrimination like it's just it, yeah it's more about what is happening in the workplace I think you know as a result of COVID lots of workplaces changed and um, it's trying to identify you know I, I think one of the big challenges is the workloads increased um, and so you know, people are feeling stressed. They they have cost of living pressures. I think the statistic was thirty eight percent of Australians pre COVID were worried about their financial health. I'd hate to hear what that stat was now. You know, with this cost of living crisis. So trying to work out what the issues are. The one of the easiest ways businesses can actually impact this is something called an uh, EAP, an Employee Assistance Program, and that is a counselling service, confidential. You can set them up. We help our clients set them up. 
where you can you let your employees go and use that you can cap it but it's a way of making it a better place to work a safer place to work you know people are going through marriage breakdowns mm. and so on so that's keeping things at arm's length and implementing a program that you sign up for where they can get support and help if they need it. Yes. Um, I think some associations offer and recommend people who can offer EAPs. And I think this is a good idea, especially if you've got a, a, a quite a specific circumstance. Maybe you're working in a warehouse with logistics, with, with inventory, and you've got I don't know, it's very different to working in a, in a professional practice mm-hmm. where people are just all sitting behind a computer. So the stresses are different. Might be a good idea to look at some industry-specific options when it comes to an EAP. Great idea. So practically doing the survey, unpacking it, taking lots of notes, yep. making some decisions and implementing an EAP. Have you covered yourself once you've done that? And then responding, of course, with, yes. with empathy and understanding and trying to help your staff as much as possible through an EAP and through other gestures. Have you covered yourself for that piece? You're starting to. So what I would suggest is what we did uh, and do for our clients is get them to pull together a focus group of a couple of employees and get them to come up with what some of the ideas are. And you might be surprised. They may not, they're often not expensive. They're just little things that would help them do their job better. And at the end of the day, I often talk about your employees are your greatest asset. They're also potentially your greatest liability and should be treated as such. But what you want to do is build happy, engaged, highly productive employees because that's better for business. Have you got a couple of examples of what employees in those circumstances have come up with? Yeah, it, uh, sometimes it's around equipment. You know, we've worked, we've gone to working from home overnight, but we didn't actually set the equipment up as well as we could. So it might be a footstool or, you know, having, making sure that we've got our computer screen where it should be, making sure we've got little reminders to have our breaks, because I think sometimes in actual fact, what happened is people worked longer hours. You know, I think in many cases, those that are working from home are working longer hours um, by virtue of the fact that the computer's there Mm. and and they're more inclined to do it and they're not travelling two hours, you know, commute each day, an hour each way. So you could have a conversation with your staff members and say, I mean, is it too intrusive to ask them where is the computer in your house? Is it in a separate room? Can you keep it in a separate room? The problem is we all work off laptops these days, but encourage them to only be working during work hours I mean that's good you want to be educating and encouraging and I think this is one case Alexi where the law hasn't caught up with what is happening or it did just five minutes ago didn't it (laughs) exactly or what's happening in reality but be at do a workplace audit you know get them to fill out a little form you know do they have appropriate lighting Lighting. you know can they get out in a fire exactly you know if they've got Um, secure documents lying around is that appropriate you know are they logging off or locking their screen so that if the workman comes past you know they can't see what's on the screen so you know there is some stuff that you can do where you're regularly surveying your team just to say we just need to make sure you're set up for success at home so we don't want to get any RSIs or neck injuries because we're sitting hunched over the kitchen table and we're not suitably set up yeah and of course you can't mitigate all of those risks because you can't be there 24 7 that's a bad expression to use nine to five yeah um but you can ask them and say and encourage them not to do so um ultimately you can't sort of stand over them all the time uh but you can encourage them to do the right thing and you need to in a way and this is where getting the right advice is good to understand what the limitations are on the expectations which neatly segues us to the um what everyone's talking about with last week's which is in my mind, ludicrous, but 
during the break, we were talking a little bit more about it, the right to switch off. What's it mm-hmm. called again? I've right to disconnect. Right to disconnect. I hate using expressions that, that politicians have bandied about, but, yeah. um, but it's about setting the expectations early. And I think a lot of small business owners feel that they've covered this off in the employment contract. But if you've signed an employment contract two years ago, you haven't revisited it. Yeah. I think there's got some you know creep going on with when the time is that people are uh, you know applying their work practices. So is this an audit thing that you do every so well, often? I would argue that you know it should be one of the questions, but it's not in the um, uh, people at work survey. Um, because then, but it could still come out of that. You know, mm. if somebody could write a comment that says, "My boss rings me at nine thirty or ten thirty every night and expects me to pick up the Can phone." Can you add questions to the survey? I'd have to check. Um, I, I think you probably could if you thought it was a risk and you wanted to, make, mm. you know, you considered it was something that you wanted to to look into further. Um, and it's really interesting. So it should have come out of that. And it's so funny because the right to disconnect is absolutely blown up. And I think you've got two or, two or three areas. There are some uh, parts in education and police where they already have that in their EBA. Um, you've got others where they work from home. It works for them. They get paid well they don't feel that they have a need to disconnect or they don't feel that they have a relationship issue where if they just said, look, I'm not going to answer that. You know, I have a remote team. My team work across Australia, New Zealand and the Philippines. And we have tools called Slack and people log off. And I work on the weekends. I send the messages on the weekend, but I do not expect them to respond. It's just that that's when I'm doing the work. Is that enough? Because, I mean, I think a lot of small – a lot of bi- – Business owners are the ones who are working. I had a funny discussion with my husband in the kitchen the other day. He's going, he was pretending to be himself and he was, runs his own business and he was saying to himself, my, my boss sucks. My boss is horrible. He, he makes all these demands of me. I have to work 24-7. He's telling me that I have to jump whenever the client says how high. And then, you know, he turned around and said, but, but my, you know, I, as a boss, I need you. To, he was having this conversation yeah. with himself. And I think that's the, the thing of small business owners. They are working all the time. But there's not an expectation necessarily an unreasonable one, and I'll come to reasonableness in a minute, but there's not an unreasonableness to expect those of your, of your staff, but then the staff are responding. So how do you stop your staff from working when you're working after hours and you're saying, I don't want you to respond, I'm just getting this off my, out of yeah. my head? I think it all comes down to communication. And, and look, lead by example. You know, I, I think you know, as business owners, we're at the greatest risk of mental health issues in the workplace, quite frankly, because we have been pivoting, financial dilemmas, you name it. Um, no one works as hard as small business owners. Uh, but I think in terms of managing it with your employees, have frank conversations. You know, I don't expect you to work this. But take notes. Record yeah, keeping, absolutely. record keeping and make sure that you're, you know, even if you've got a diary, like a workplace relations diary and you're just writing little notes about who you spoke to, who did you check in with, how are they feeling, you've noticed something about someone, you need to, you know, follow up on that. Yep. No, I think that's really important. So uh, the those changes happened last week and as I mentioned, it sort of blew up in the media a little bit because it became the focal point about about what that was. But what's what's happened last week and in the last couple of tranches that we've heard a lot about in the media that affect small business. So respect at work, people at work, domestic violence, family violence leave. That was, what, 12 months ago? Yeah, many of them, yeah. So what are the recent things that they need to be aware of? The main ones around casualisation. So people can actually request if they feel that they have been working regular hours and, and then that's, you know, what determines... But that determines was there before. Their, I know, that's what I think. So the big change is that they used to be able to ask at the 12-month mark... Yeah. Now they can ask at the six-month mark? I think that's right. But not if you're a small business, I heard. 
and I haven't got through all of that yet. Yeah. So, but I think that's the one that's going to bite small business potentially. Um, but again, it's can the business afford it, and can the business uh, is that viable going forward? Um, so that's the 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 one we've got to watch. And look, casuals were always brought about to flex the workforce. You know, you've got your permanent employees, and then you flex for peak periods when you need to with casual employees. But obviously, you know, that's one that I think small business need to to take special consideration of and how will that happen in a practical sense um employee you know comes to you worker says i've been working with you for six months i've noticed a bit of a pattern then what happens yeah the, well you'd have to explore that and see whether it's financially viable here's the thing though Lexi, i don't think a lot of casuals want it because casuals get a 25 percent loading mm-hmm. and actually when you put them back to perms and go actually you're permanent now and this is what your pay rate looks like they go i don't want to i don't want to take that pay you know and obviously that 25 percent loading is to cover for sick leave and pay uh, you know annual leave that they don't get and a lot of them too work casually because that flexibility works for them you know they want want to be able to have more holidays for example to look after kids Um, so that's going to be one of the challenges so I think again it comes back to having a conversation as you say document everything Um, as a business owner it's got to be financially viable for you to be able to put them on permanently but they can request permanent if they can can show that they've got that um, regular and systemic work pattern yes okay but they don't know what might be coming down in the future you know if they've lost a contract maybe that work pattern is going to change so is this apply is this applicable with reasonableness yes there is a reasonable what's reasonable yeah and that's a big test i know i know (laughs) i just think to myself how are they going to fund the fair work commission to be able to make all these decisions in all these nuanced different varied workplaces um what in your opinion what impact does that word reasonableness have on these real life applications of these laws in small business yeah, I think, uh, you know, the way, the way I've always said is if you ask 10 people in the street and nine of them said that's reasonable, then that's your sort of judgment call of whether it's reasonable or and not. And is the Fair Work Commission literally making judgment calls? Yes, on, that, on what's reasonable. And how so, long does it take for a case like this to go through? It varies. It depends. So unfair dismissal, there was a backlog of about 18 months. What? Um, yep, to make those complaints. So, yeah, and obviously with unfair dismissal, just quickly on that, um, it, you know, it's all around mediation. So we don't want it to get – they don't want it to get to legal stage, so you have to front up. But the reason – I often say to business owners, and this comes back to your point, the reason why you wanted to, them to exit was – fair and reasonable the way you did it the process was what brought you unstuck so it's really important that you get advice to make sure that you are exiting that individual and I truly believe as a small business owner and I've had to do it myself you need to exit people from your business both if they're not uh, if they're not producing what they need to be producing or if they're performing or doing things that are inappropriate they need to go but follow the right process so that that doesn't bring you unstuck because if you get a complaint you have to fill out loads of paperwork and it's about eight hours potentially of mediation to try and come to some sort of Result. So if you feel like you're almost there, get the help when you're before. in Before. Yeah, yeah, like before. often I go, you know, they'll bring us in and say, we need to get rid of George. And I'm like, well, how long's George not been performing? Oh, about five years. Why weren't we here five years ago? Because the productivity that he's cost you in that five years, you do not want to know. Mm. So, you know, and I think people struggle to have that difficult conversation. That's where that comes about. Now, let's talk about employee versus contractor because I do think that this is something that's really going to impact small businesses. There's the flexibility in the workforce. 
there's the decision by someone who wants to be a contractor and, and wants to work within the business um, and for the business but not necessarily be an employee. Um, how much of that is being blown up by what the government's doing right now? It and is, are they just doing it because Uber, you know, can't keep people safe? Yeah, look, that's a big part of it. Interestingly, in, independent contractors have been a hot potato for years from a legal perspective and it's been bouncing around with the work pack case for many years most recently it's what's written in the contract but other things like does that you know they do other tests like does that uh, employee look like an employee of your business do they have their own business card you know does your clients think they're an employee of yours so it is one of the instruments you can use to hire like casuals like permanents like independent contractors but again make sure you're using it in the right way and that you've got everything documented appropriately so that you keep yourself safe where is that checklist to work out whether or not someone is deemed an employee versus a contractor where does that where does it can you point point me give me the website this is the problem because ATO have a different definition to what fair work do and that's where a lot of the problems been because businesses will go to their accountant and they'll they'll do their checklist and go well I think you're fine and then you look at fair work and it's a different version and there's a different version for payroll tax at each state and there's different version for super and there's a different version for workplace it's horrendous yeah so I think that that's a problem that needs to be resolved which is give us the opportunity and the ability to make a decision rather than having this arbitrary reasonableness, you know, everyone coming to an agreement, but that's not even an agreement that's about binding. Mm. Help us to understand what that relationship should be and then we can do the right thing. I think this is a real failure of the government to not enable and give small businesses at least a checklist that they can work through to make help make the decision about what that relationship is and then do the right thing. Exactly, yeah. So... Um, a lot of things coming down the pipeline for small business, <laughs> a lot of changes. Um, in your, uh, where's, where's the best place, I guess I'm going to say the cheapest place, the most inexpensive place that they can get assistance if they need it, um, first and foremost? Fair work, um, 131394. Um, they do have calculators, they do have great information sheets and stuff like that, obviously probably not updated yet around um, right to disconnect, but I would strongly recommend that they use Fair Work as their first port of call. It's cheap. You may have to wait on the, uh, on the whole for a while. But the other thing I would suggest is do take down the number and the name of the person who's given you the advice. Because if in, pro- and it has happened, if that advice is incorrect, but you can say, well, hang on a minute, I spoke to Fred and this was the number, then you've got a defence that that's what you've applied based on the advice you got from and Fair And you work. should do that for banks and also for telecommunication companies and anybody you speak to that has more than 100 employees. Yes. <laughs> so um, important to get that advice. So Fair Work has a phone number. They have some calculators on their website. I know the Fair Work Ombudsman also has a, yep. a stack of things. So Fair Work Commission, Fair Work Ombudsman. Um, your association is always very, very valuable, particularly as changes come down the pipeline. What does it mean for you? I'd encourage you to go to networking events. Often associations have free uh, getting to know you uh, networking events as well that you can join um, and then just at least build that relationship with your association because they're going to be the ones who understand this from your perspective, really unpack it for you and help you discern what the difference is between the working environment you operate in versus someone who's operating down the street. Hmm. Absolutely. 
Um, advisors are critical. We always talk about them in Small Biz Matters. So um, where can people get more information about the services that you offer? Natalia? Yeah, best place to go would be the website, which is employeematters.com.au. Um, and on there, we actually do have a free ER legislation hub that they can go and get much more information than we've been able to go through today. They can find out about pay secrecy and all of that as well. Awesome. Oh, yeah, we didn't even touch on pay yeah. secrecy. We'll have to get you back on the show and talk about that as well. <laughs> So much to cover. Um, Look, thanks everyone for listening. We're just going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and then we'll come back and talk about who's on the show next week. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. As Bifio assists, advocates and provides information to Australia's 2.5 million small and family businesses when and where they need it. Aspifio delivers practical and actionable advice and research to governments on how to improve policies and legislation. Since its inception, Aspifio has responded to over 40,000 requests for assistance from Australian small and family businesses and provides access to dispute resolution services, including assistance with disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticulture and oil codes. Aspifio also connects small and family business with mental health support should the need arise. As an independent advocate for small business owners, Aspifio is committed to ensuring that Australia is the best place to start, grow or transform a business now and well into the future. See how Aspifio can support you at ASBFEO. And welcome back to Small Beers Matters here on the program. Let's have a chat to, oh no, let's not have a chat. Let's have a think about what's on the program next week. Um, We've got Suji Sanjivan, who is the founder of Brand Scent and Light and Glow Designs. Now, we've got her on the program because we're talking about resilience, not you know, building yourself up and feeling fabulous. But actually, what do you do when you're trying to rebuild after such a massive disruption, which is called COVID? Uh, Suji uh, had a, a thriving refugee business built on a foundation of struggle, but then COVID hit and she needed to rebuild herself, rebuild her business, pivot, do all those things. So we're going to unpack about what that process was for her, how she drew on that um, on those life experiences to really break through and, and try and continue succeeding. And that is an ongoing journey for her. So hopefully small businesses around will be able to listen, get some um, understanding about that you're not alone. There's a lot of other people going on with that. And we welcome her in the studio next week. Um, of course, you can catch up on the program by listening to two over 220 podcasts on smallbizmatters.com.au. Listen to us on Triple H every week at 9am on Tuesdays live and you know, check us out on LinkedIn and socials to find out who's coming on the show. Thanks again for joining me and I'll speak to you all next week.